Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you indeed are good, Lord. I thank you for your, just your, your loving kindness towards us. Uh, we love you, Lord. I pray for your presence. I pray for your word to speak powerfully this, this afternoon. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, could you uh, go to Luke chapter 14, please? I'm going to read a whole chapter. It's good to have the reading of the Word, public reading of Scripture. I'll read out of the New King James Version, Luke chapter 14. Now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath that they watched him closely. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent and they took him and healed him. And he took him and healed him and let him go. And they answered him them saying, Which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. So he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, when you are invited by, some, uh, by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him, and he who invited you has to come and say to you for you to move. I think you know the story. We've got to understand that the context here is a shame and honor society. They, they ran, the whole society was run by shame and honor. So it was, it's different in our day. Let's go down to verse 12. It says, Then also he said to him, who invited him, When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor your rich neighbor, lest, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you shall be, re be repaid at the resurrection of the just. There's a proverb that says, if you, lend to the, if you give to the poor, you lend to the Lord. It's an amazing proverb. If you give something to the poor that cannot give you back, you lend to the Lord, and his return is better than theirs. You can go and think about that for a whole while. Verse 15. Now, I wanted to read that just to give you some context of what we're going to read now. Now, when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, why did he say that? I believe he assumed that he was speaking about some of the people at that table and himself. You know, he's sitting there, he's eating with Jesus, and there's all these important people and Pharisees. And so it's some level of self-exaltation. He's saying, blessed are they that get to sit and eat bread in the kingdom of God. In other words, thinking that one day at the end of days, I will be there. That's what he's saying. And then he said to them, a certain man, Jesus now says this, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. And I just want to say, friends, we cannot assume because of our position in this world like that man, no matter what position you're in, no matter what job you're in, no matter all of that, you, we cannot assume. Now, we, if you're saved, we, we understand, we know. But you cannot assume based on your positional title or status in this world and your, your seat at this table that it guarantees you a seat at the next one. You know? unless, this, unless saved is saved. Non-saved is non-saved. And so Jesus hears this guy say this, so he starts to tell this parable. Basically saying, don't assume because you sit at this table that you'll sit at the next one. It's a very interesting context. And he says this, he says, come for all things are now ready. But they, with one accord, began to make excuses. And the first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground. So what would happen was in those days they would send out an invitation to a great banquet, to a great feast, okay? And they would get two invitations. They would send one and they would get the invitation, very formal. Then they would send another, whereas the servant would go out and in a sense tell them, now everything's ready. And it sounds very similar to, I will go and I will make a place for you, John 14. 
when we have this invitation through salvation and now he's in heaven making a place for us and then we will go to that wedding feast. Yeah? All right, you're with me, great. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. And the first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have brought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask that you have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So what we see happening here is people have received an invitation. But the value that they hold in their heart for kingdom things, because that's what Jesus is talking about, the value for the kingdom, the heart for the kingdom, because he says there was a certain man. And the gentleman said, blessed are they who sit in the kingdom of God. So you know the parables where Jesus says the kingdom is like this. He doesn't say that, but he's teaching something about the kingdom, something about the wedding feast at the end, and something about salvation, and something about the kingdom. And he said, you've received this invitation from me. You know there's coming a time when the feast is going to be ready. But the kingdom has no value in your heart. They're not building their life around God's kingdom. They're not establishing what they do around, in a sense, the first invitation. So when the time comes and he says, make everything is now ready, why don't you come? Well, I'm, I'm busy right now. And so there wasn't a, a value for the kingdom in the heart. There wasn't a value. There wasn't a building your schedule and your life around kingdom things and kingdom activities. So they said, well, I'm busy now. I mean, I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm doing this and so forth. Are you with me? And so I'm not saying, I'm not talking about being busy. And he even tried the law. The man even tried to use the law as an excuse to the law of Moses. Because in the law of Moses, if you got married, you got a year of military service. And you got a year off a few things when you got married. So he said, well, I've just got married, so therefore I don't have to. And so you just see, imagine you were that, that man who was throwing the banquet. And you've prepared everything, and you've already invited these people. And then the time comes for you, and you've been working. And then they say, well, it's not convenient for me right now. And that's what we hear so often in the world, isn't it? Well, I'm not sure. Maybe I'll come to the Lord. You know, I'm just busy right now. Just let me work on this issue. Or just, you know, right now I'm just busy building this business. Or right now I'm just busy doing this. Or right now it's not convenient. So maybe another time. And Jesus is saying the kingdom is like this. There's a value on the kingdom things and thinking with eternity in mind and everything else flows out of that place. Everything. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be extremely busy with business. Some people are gifted for business and they should take their time and make as much money as they can. I'm very, I'm not even joking, they should. But it's from a kingdom heart. So, I'm also speaking about reaching those that are not saved. And that's what we're going to speak about today, evangelism. But you will find that often what these guys are talking about and what Jesus is talking about here is exactly what you will find out there in the world. So he says, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded and still there is room. And I love this. Here's a servant who knows the heart of his master. He already knows his heart. He already did that. And I really believe that we are the servant in this text. 
knowing the heart of the Father. We, Lord, I've already done that. Of course I've done that. And even to the Jewish people, this would have meant something way different than it means to you and me. Because to the Jewish people, the first people is the people of status. Because remember, shame and honor society. So invite those who are honored, invite those who have status, invite those who have position, and Pharisees and Sadducees, and while that's not convenient for them, will go out into the streets and in the lanes. And they knew, hello, sorry, they knew that that's within the city limits, means still Jewish people. Then he says, go out into the highways and the byways. Now he starts to include Gentiles. And for them, that's a very different thing that he's now saying. He says, and the servant said, Master, it's done. I've included all those who, in a sense, are part of us that have no status, that have nothing to give, that have nothing to offer. Remember the context. When you give a banquet, do not give to those who can repay. Give to those who cannot repay. And he says, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, go out onto the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of these men who were invited shall taste my supper. Let's go down to verse um, 31. Well, what king make, go, going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000 or else while the other is still a great way off he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the, out to, it is neither fit for the land, nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So, we've read a lot. What are we talking about? A few weeks ago, I, a few weeks ago, I um, spoke about contagious Christianity. And as you know, many months ago, probably six months ago, the Lord began to put in my heart to be fishers of men, to train people to be fishers of men. And I began to say to the Lord, how can I train people to be fishers of men in this climate, in this culture, where you cannot speak to people, you cannot mention politics, you cannot... The point is this, is that I said, Lord, how can I do this? How can I... Because any church you go to, any church you go to, I find a very similar thing. There was, a, there was a poll that was done, I think it was in 2004, where they asked 1,000 churches in the United States, they asked the members of the churches, why does the church exist? 86%, and now they say all stats are made up, it was somewhere in the 80s that I promise you, I just don't remember which 80-something percent, said the church exists for me and my family. And I heard that and I was, I was it's so tragic. Because there's a great commission, a co-mission, and there's a great co-mission that has to do with people. And many believers in the Western world leave that co-laborer, co-mission, co-partner, if you look in the scripture, they leave that co up to this person, up to events. But it's believers. It's all believers. And so preachers sometimes will stand up and speak about evangelism and the people feel condemned and the people feel guilty. But it doesn't, because of the way they speak about it, because they're passionate about it and they, they want to see people get saved. But it's so difficult to speak about without people leaving going, well, you know, I'm not doing that. So what actually happens is nothing changes. People just feel bad. 
but no lifestyles actually change to begin to be outward focused. Who agrees? Who knows what I'm talking about? Can we all be honest? Awesome. We have some honest people. The rest of you, there's a ministry team <laughs> over there. But the question is, friends, what is the value of one life? What is the value of just one life? The person at Starbucks, whoever they may be, what value does God place on that person? We know what he suffered. I mean, we know the answer. But it's to start to see people through the eyes that God sees that person. They're not notches in a belt. They're not projects. They're not... They're people. They're people. And part of the way we misunderstand the gospel, that's why I'm so passionate about speaking about identity, is because part of our misunderstanding of the gospel is we now present a gospel that you have to be good before you can come to God. But the opposite is true. You come as you are. And so what happens is even the, 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 the word evangelist comes from the word evangelist. It used to be good news. Where the, good, the, the people used to come singing, I think I said this a few weeks ago, over the mountains, the people from the war, and they used to come singing, we won, we won, we won, which means no one in the village would get taken slaves and get taken captive. So it was really good news. And the good news has become something that is preached in a way that you better behave better. It's not good news anymore. And that's why I so much try to preach the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, to change. You know, the Bible says, just to shock some people out of complacency, I don't know. The Bible says that all sin is forgiven. I say this all the time. If you have an unbeliever here and a believer here, they're going to heaven. Their sin is forgiven. This unbeliever, their sin is forgiven too. But they're not going to heaven. But sin is dealt with. Sin is forgiven. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. 2 Corinthians 5. He said he, he's not counting their sins any, any more against them. He said the sins of the whole world, 2 Corinthians 5. Sin is dealt with, but people get condemned because they do not believe. There's still one way, and that's Jesus. So the sin issue is dealt with, so the way you preach the gospel comes different. Do you know that you're forgiven? But you have to believe on Jesus Christ, because then you appropriate that forgiveness. They're still in their sins. They're still in their sins. They will still be judged. They Hello? But the provision for that sin, the provision for the sinner, the provision for the gospel, the provision for grace has already happened on the cross. And so when the good news becomes good news in your mouth, when it actually is good news, it becomes easier to just live in such a way that people hear the gospel. Because you're not demanding anything of them and telling them, well, you better stop this, 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 and this, and this, and this if you want to come to church. Hello? Why would they come? Why would they come? Because, friends... Jesus went to them, number one. He went into the synagogue to help the Jews, believers. He went into the streets to meet the sinners. And he treated them very different to the way that leaders, religious leaders treated them. He treated them with love and with grace. So when the gospel becomes good news to you again, and I don't have time to clarify all the statements I made, but sin is dealt with, 
in them, it still needs to be dealt with. It's dealt with technically, but they're still in their sin. Because they are born on the earth under Adam with a sin nature. They're doing what comes natural to them. And unless Christ comes and provides righteousness, the righteousness of God, the propitiation, the covering of righteousness, they will die in that sin. Hello? We know this. But why then is the church so scared or so struggle so much with evangelism? I'm just speaking as a family. Why do we struggle so? Because the culture says, don't talk about it. The culture says, it's offensive. The culture says, you better not say this, and you better not say this in this meeting or that. And, but what the culture doesn't know, what hell is like. You do. <laughs> it's very quiet. The culture doesn't understand. The world doesn't know what they're talking about. And yet we're listening to them. <laughs> Jesus knows what he's talking about. And we say, but you don't understand, Lord. It's uncomfortable, like it is now. So we don't like uncomfortable. We, we just, friends, it's the salvation. What is the value of that life? How does God see that person? I'm not putting a heavy on you. I'm really, I'm not. I'm trying to help us see according to the way God sees. And that doesn't mean we're going to go out of here and walk the street and say, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? We're going to speak very practically about how just to live outward life with an outward look, very practical, that anybody can do. Anybody can do it. The Bible says... You are the salt of the earth. We read that. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? You are the salt of the earth. So you are salt. Okay? You are salt, light, and leaven in the New Testament. Salt, light, and leaven. Leaven is mostly sin in the Bible, but you are also leaven in the New Testament. In other words, just a little bit changes everything. Okay? Just a little bit causes everything to rise. You are salt, light, and leaven. When the Bible says the salt loses its saltiness, it is not good to be thrown out, nor not even used for the dung heel. Most people don't even use, what is he talking about? Salt for manure and salt for this and so. So we think, we, we just like, okay, we're the salt of the earth. But do we understand biblically as they would have understood? What does he mean? So I'm going to tell you, and then you'll understand. He says this, uh, we are the salt of the earth. Salt used to be placed on um, manure. It used to be placed on manure because the gaseous exchange in manure would release uh, ammonia in the gaseous form, so they used to put salt. And salt would increase 30 to 40 percent. It would make two different types of, it would create two compounds to happen that wouldn't happen without salt chemical reaction, and it would increase the, the success of the manure by 30, 40 percent, and it would have less waste and it would create manure that would be now possible for plant growth that wouldn't be possible before. Now we don't know that because we're not farmers. So we think, well, why is he talking about they knew that? And we think, well, how can salt lose its saltiness? It's NaCl, it's sodium chloride. What are you talking about, Lord? They used to make salt in those days, not just from the sea like us. They used to make it also, they used to take it from marshes and it was very polluted. And some of it would lose its saltiness over time and they used to throw it on the path and they used to throw it on the roof, flat roofs where they used to go meet up there 
and people would be trampled underfoot by men because they would walk on it. So I use this principle called self-apply or me-apply. If you are salt, what does that mean to you? The addition of you, because you are the salt, the addition of you in any situation should create life and growth where that was formerly not possible because you're there. It's fact. A person who knows their identity, that's why I keep talking about this, who knows who they are in Christ, the moment you walk in a room, something is not possible because salt has just arrived. It's not about you, it's about him. But when God uses you and throws you on a dunghill, on something that is, I mean, we know what dung is. When he throws you on that, all of a sudden life becomes possible and growth and seeds are sown and life can begin to be born because you're there. Do you see yourself like that? Someone said, I do. Whoever that is, well done. You should. Salt was used, and I've looked at all the scriptures on this. Salt was used to preserve meat. That's how they used to use it in those days. So, me apply, or self-apply. You're called to preserve what would turn infectious or even poisonous without you. When you are added, what would turn sour now remains safe. Because you're there. Life, love, peace, unity, truth. Because you're there. Salt helped retain heat. A lot of people don't know this one. They would put salt in their ovens, the self-made ovens, under tiles. They would put tiles on the bottom and put salt underneath because salt would help retain all the heat in there. Now, why is that so important? The context of this verse is to be outward focused, to be the salt of the earth. Most people find, they think, well, when I'm at a certain place with the Lord, and when I've studied enough, and when I know the scripture, like George, or Ken, or Clayton, or Dwayne, or when I, then I will begin to speak, speak to people about the gospel. In that waiting process, the peace goes, the joy goes. It's like the Christianity, it just dies. In order to stay hot on fire for God, when you actively are being salt, when you actively outward focused, when you actively are looking out, your oven, your, the fire of God in your heart retains its heat. And that's what and they knew that. They understood that. So you're saying to me, Jesus, when I go out and when I take a step and when I do this and when I am just outward focused, that it's going to change me on the inside because they used to line their streets with ovens and empty all the old salt and replace it with new salt to retain heat. Friends, they knew this. So when Jesus was saying to them, you want to stay on fire for God on the inside, begin to be outward focused. And all the stuff you're trying to fix will take care of itself. They understood this. <laughs> salt, as we know, 
This is, this is, you don't have to be a genius to know this. Salt makes people thirsty. I'm thirsty now. Salt makes people thirsty. What's the point? You're salt, friends. When people are around you, they should start to thirst for the kingdom. It's a contagious Christianity. You're there. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for the Lord. And that contagious thing starts to, you know those people, you get around them, and they just don't want to stop talking about Jesus. And it might be irritating to you at first, but eventually you're like, all right, let's talk about Jesus. And you leave there, and something has come alive inside of you. I've had people say to me, please don't speak about Jesus when so-and-so comes. And I tell them, I'm making no promises. Because it's inside me. It's probably going to spill out. You can't keep that stuff inside if it's really inside. And when people are around you, you're salt. They should become thirsty for the kingdom. They should become hungry, thirsty, desperate. They should see something in you going, oh, I just... Man, I need to go spend time with the Lord. This is what Jesus was saying. Simple. You are the salt of the earth. I wrote this. It's within our partnership to the Great Commission that the leading of the Spirit comes, not before. People always say, well, I'm waiting to be led by the Spirit. Don't. The Spirit's not going to lead you to do what Jesus already told you to do. Imagine, imagine you were at work, and your boss says, go do this. You're like, I'm just waiting to be led. All right, you're fired. <laughs> we, have, we have a great commission. We have a great commission. In the active, actively participating in that great commission, the this, this specific leadings would come. Somebody said, thank goodness Jesus wasn't denominational because the one person he healed with mud and the one he didn't. So you'd have, today you would have mudites and anti-mudites. Because we make an institution of everything. <laughs> Friends, when you actively go, when you actively go, the leadings and the stuff you wait for to happen here will happen out there. And then you'll tell the story here. And when you tell the story here, testimony means do it again. It starts to happen here. We always think, let it happen here so that we can take it out. Go out and it'll happen here. Am I crazy? Hello? Wonderful. I wrote you, it's within his great purpose that you discover your purpose. It's within his great purpose that you discover your purpose. You know how many people sit across my desk say, I don't know who I am and I don't know my purpose. Christians. Well, I know your purpose. Preach the gospel to every creature, raise the dead, heal the sick. Well, I, yeah, okay, while you do that, preach the gospel. To, yeah, but, uh, while you do that, preach the gospel. Every creature, great and small. Mark chapter 1. We don't have time to go into this because I want to give you something else quickly. Mark chapter 1 just briefly says, Come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It says he went there and he saw them for they, they were fishing for they were fishermen. So because they were fishermen, they were fishing. It was what they do. And he said, I'll make you fishers of men. 
In other words, when you become Christians, you're still fish, because that's what Christians do. And he said, but your job is to follow me. See, it's in the following of Christ that he makes. Come and follow me, and I will make you fishers. The word follow there in the Greek and the word follow in that culture is not, I'll follow you around. Well, Jesus, I'll just follow you around. It's apprenticeship language. They called him rabbi. It's follow what I do, follow what I say, follow how I live, follow how I think. Think like me, act like me, become like me. He said, you focus on that, and I will make you and shape you and change you. And the result of what I will make you is that you will look for men. <laughs> That's why the Bible says, keep your eyes fixed on the Lord. These are simple things, simple, basic, but it's like I just feel like God's trying to remind us again at a Free Love Church, be outward. So I was going to go over all the action words and pronouns, but we're not going to do that. It's very fascinating, fascinating to do that. So I wrote here, the person we are being formed into in our new identity, in other words, when you get saved, is largely going to be evidenced by catching people. So... Practical helps concerning being a contagious Christian. I wrote four points that I'm going to quickly discuss with you. Practical, because everyone says, okay, I agree. Let me ask for, because this is family, you can tell this is a family message, okay? It's not a teaching. Who feels in your heart, asking for honesty here, remember the belt, don't lie. No. <laughs> <laughs> Who feels... Who feels in your heart, you hear this and you think, Clayton, I agree with you, but I don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. Can you raise your hand? Okay, a bunch of people. A bunch of people, wonderful. Because often we're not going to go from where we are to suddenly walking the streets and praying for the sick and raising the dead. We're not going to make that jump. Some people do. Some people do. But how do I start? So, very quickly. Number one. Pay attention to your sphere of influence. It's that simple. Your sphere of influence. In two ways. Set goals. I encourage you, especially as a married couple, set goals. So pick someone, for an example. Pick someone in your sphere of influence, someone you run into every day. And not necessarily a family member. Family member's great, but there's a lot of emotion involved there. Pick someone, your neighbor, your colleague, maybe someone that rubs you the wrong way. That's even better. But pick someone and commit to pray for that person every day. Because you're seeking them in the spirit realm. It's almost unfair. You're setting like a target on their back for the Lord, the hound of heaven, the Holy Spirit, and you're praying for them. Lord, help them, redeem them, change them, help, whatever the case may be. You watch that person. Watch what happens in their life. What you don't know is the sneakiness of this. I learned this many years ago. Is that when you intentionally pray for a person, and we, we did this in the last house for one of them, when you intentionally pray for a person, every time you meet them, you, you're waiting. Every time you see them, you're ready. You're like, uh, what's going to happen here? Are they going to ask me a question? So you, just by praying for a person, you're actually training yourself to be ready to give an answer. You're training yourself to be outward focused by praying for one person. 
So just pray for one person that you run into every once in a while. I used to pray for some of the people at Starbucks. And I've been amazed at what's happened. I walk into Starbucks sometimes, there's this little group there. And the one lady I walked in, as I walked in, she starts to cry. I just walked in, she's outside the room. We need you. She runs, pulls me back. I mean, she's like 50 or 60. And off I go, I'm thinking, listen lady, you're great, but I, I want my coffee. But she pulls me. She says, we need you. So I get there. She says, I said, what's going on? She says, my parents are going to, uh, it was another country, my parents are going and we don't think they should go and we think they're going to be fine and we don't know what to do. So I said, okay, sit down. And I began to lay hands and pray for them in Starbucks. But there's been a reputation. There's been a slow process. So begin to pray for one person. I encourage you. That's a very basic way to start. Secondly, in your sphere of influence, can you go to 1 Peter chapter 3? I've spoken a lot, a lot about identity and being free from everyone and everything that surrounds you. Yeah? This body knows, I think, what I mean when I talk about that. Why is that so important? I'll show you now. Where did I say? 1 Peter chapter 3. If I can find it. In your sphere of influence, you know what preaches the loudest? Your life. Your life. People watch your life and they look at your life and your life will speak far, far louder than your words or your political opinion. It's your life that speaks very loud. And most people on the earth, within a certain percentage, will react very similarly to the same trauma, to the same crisis. When life happens, when life happens, people have a very similar response to life. Jesus said, that's one of your greatest opportunities. Because what is the most contagious thing about a person is how free that person is. Really it is, how free they are. Listen to this, 1 Peter 3 verse 13. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats nor be troubled. But sanctify, in other words, set the Lord apart in your heart. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. So, let's use modern day language. You're going about your life. You're living life, you're loving the Lord, you're praying, you're doing whatever, you're going to church, you're going to business, you're busy. Life happens. Something happens. Everyone watches. The way you respond, the way you respond to that shows people, whoa, there's a freedom there that I've not seen before. There's a how, how, how can they react like that? How can they not be like, how can they think like that? How can they? There's a reaction. And then your opportunity is born. This is be ready, because it's talking about a situation of suffering. It's talking about in a hard thing, hard times happen. And instead of getting bitter and twisted, and I'm going to get my way back, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, there's love. And there's grace. Because I don't fight people. My fight is not against flesh and blood. And I'm free from you, so I can love you because I'm free from the old man and all the stuff I talk about. So the reaction changes. The reaction is so different. 
You know, I'll tell you a little story. I was sworn at this week, repeatedly by a certain person. They thought I had done something which I hadn't done, which they realized later I hadn't done, but they were swearing and cursing at me like you cannot believe. And I was like, okay. And it affected me maybe for about an hour or so. But when I went to bed that night, I'd you know, almost forgotten about it, and Jen asked me about it, and I said, you know, babe, I'm so glad to be free. Because many years ago, that would have just twisted us up, twisted you up. But that night, I'd forgotten. And so when people see that reaction, say, how come? And you say, Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about Jesus. He's in my heart. It's an opportunity. So how do you reach out your sphere of influence? Number one, just folk, pray for one person. Second, A, acts of kindness. I'm going to have to hurry here because 6.31. Don't want to be late. Acts of kindness. Friends, I said this last time. It is the kindness of God that leads men to repentance. In the Old Testament, it was the rebuke of God that led nations and people to repentance. In the New Testament, it's the kindness of God. The kindness. Did you ever consider, have you ever had someone be kind to you for no reason? And how that, why are you being so kind to me? You know, you know that feeling? Did you ever consider that God is kind? He's actually just kind to you? Sometimes he does stuff. You say, Lord, why are you so good to me? Well, he's kind. He's a kind God. And it's his kindness that leads people to repeat, that changes the heart. What can your kindness change in a person? And let me, can anybody be kind? That's actually very easy. So when I say focus out, reach out, I'm not talking be a Todd White. Just be kind. Be nice. Be kind. Acts of kindness. There's two types of acts of kindness. The spontaneous act of kindness. God speaks to you, there's this person over there, boom, Lord, I want to be kind. Then there's the planned, the repetition, many acts of kindness in a row, feeding the poor, whatever that may be. There's the acts of kindness where they cannot give back, like Luke 14. That act of kindness, because sometimes you do the natural first. Roger and I were speaking, he said to me, Clayton, never forget, it's the natural first in the spirit. Sometimes that natural act of kindness it has a similar draw that, like the miraculous. People pay attention to that. Why are they doing that? Why do they do that? And it'll draw people in. And then we have two more. I think I'll have to finish them another time. Do you want to know what they are very quickly? Oh, okay. <laughs> See, I tricked you. See, I did that. Um, yeah, L is listen. Listen. Where's my phone? Friends, get out of this when you're walking around. Hi, how are you? I want to decaf this and there. Thank you. Thank you. Sit down. There's no salt there. Salt has lost its flavor. Hello? Everyone's like, I better not be on my phone. No, I'm not. John's on his phone. Let's all look at John. <laughs> Just kidding. Take it. He's taking notes. I know. 
But friends, listen to people. Listen, and they're not telling you there's more that they're telling you stuff more than they know if you know how to listen. If you know how to listen, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. I'm listening in the spirit. Everywhere you go, you're listening to people. And you learn when you, you see when you outward focus, you'll be amazed at what you pick up. Amazed. There was this young lady, Josh, and I were at, at, I remember last week I said this waitress came to me and poured out her life about my husband walked out to me. No, no, no. So I'm there again this week, go with Josh. She comes up to us. I'm so glad you were there. They know I'm telling the truth. She comes up to us, we're sitting down. She says, hi, gives us a hug. So waitress gives me a hug, gives Josh a hug. How are you both? She starts speaking to us. She says, man, I think I should come to church. My children need the Lord. I want to... Because we listened. Can you listen? Yeah. Michelle Rolf was teaching me about something called active listening. But it didn't work because A. <laughs> a is not an L. <laughs> I wasn't listening. Yes. <laughs> active listening. Friends, active listening. Listen to your neighbors when they speak to you. Look at them. Listen to them. Listen to people. You'll be amazed what you can pick up especially the person that you're praying for. Listen to them when they talk to you. Simple. Listen to your children when they speak to you. What are they saying? That's for my dad. He never listens to me. <laughs> and um, last one. Last one, trust. And I don't have time to go into this one. This is, I wanted to take some time. But trust, friends. Trust God when you're out there. Trust God. And what I mean by that is this. Take the steps into the supernatural. Trust Him for the word of knowledge. Trust Him when you lay your hand on that sick person. Trust Him. Step out. Trust Him. Everyone says, well, not everyone's wired like that. Not everyone's going to go and pray for people. You know, you're right. But it doesn't change this fact that I'm about to tell you. Whoever does do that, the rate of growth is astronomical. You step out, no matter what happens, you step out again. 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 Watch what happens to your life. Watch. You'll be amazed. There was a course that was done in Australia about 12 years ago called Taking the Gap. And the phrase was, what if we just did it they took a businessman, a school teacher, a, school, a student, a college student, and a high school student, a housewife, da, 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 da. normal people. And they went to the street every day. They had a little pep talk, 20 minutes, and they spent two hours on the street, just cold. And they video journaled that journey. By the third, fourth, fifth day, these people were all crying, saying, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't understand this. I'm so embarrassed everywhere we go. I don't, I don't know. Just, but they committed for two months. They said, no matter how bad it gets, we're going to do this every day for two months. By the 14th, 15th day, you saw different people, literally. 15 days. They, the, the, the one lady, she, was, uh, she just stayed at home and she worked very hard. She had kids. It's a full-time job. Ladies, I understand. Don't come shout at me. She was at home doing the stuff with the kids. And she was crying, but now for a different reason. She said, I felt electricity come from my hands for the first time today. 
The other one, I saw my first healing today, two weeks. So I'm not saying everyone has to do that. But I am saying that if you wanted to, your life would change. And what's funny thing is, if you go down that list, that spells salt. So we're going to print these out. We're going to have reminders everywhere. Salt, salt, be salt. In your sphere of influence, acts of kindness, listen, and trust. And you'll find as you start the sphere of influence, you will start to naturally think of acts of kindness. You will start to actually actively listen more, and eventually it will lead to trusting God for the supernatural. But I'm going to end there. There's more we can go into, but we're going to end there. I hope that's helpful. We have a great commission. Amen? Amen. All right. Why don't we stand?